Sharp outlet feed to Wolanin. He'll drive it into the offensive zone. Di Giuseppe backdoor feed and a goal. It's Oman who sends it over the blocker of the diving Dostal and puts the Canucks on the board for a one nothing lead. In the neutral zone, it seemed like the Gulls got caught flat-footed. 8.03 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. No Bruff today, in case you haven't noticed. He's under the weather. He's not feeling well. Hopefully, he'll be back tomorrow. But if not, you get Ask Us Anything Friday with Halford. That's fun, right? Right? Everyone? Bueller? Halford and Bruff in the Morning, Hour 3, brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. I can see that Andy is working the telephone trying to get Chris Faber on the line. Fabes, if you're listening, it's time for your hit, buddy. Wake Canucks, up, Chris. Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation. Interesting times for him as an ardent follower. Probably the best beat guy right now doing the Abbotsford Canucks. He's going to be in for a really interesting second half of the season. The number of guys in Abbotsford that are going to play, you would think, a fairly profound role on the major Canucks, the not baby Canucks, includes Pod Colson, Huglander, Ratu, Klimovich, Carlson. And a question remains, how many of these guys will we see this season? Look, one of the things that we really haven't delved into as it pertains to the, the, the major Canucks, the big Canucks, is that in Rick Tockett's short tenure as head coach, uh, Ilya Mikheyev was shut down for the year with a torn ACL. That's one guy off the active roster. Lane Peterson, who had bounced back, back and forth between the American League and the NHL, he's no longer with the organization. He was claimed off waivers by Columbus. And then, of co- course, Bo Horvat gets traded to the Islanders. Now, it has to be said, a roster player did return in the form of Anthony Tito Bovillier. It's his nickname, eh? Tito? Tito, is that what we're yeah, going with? Yeah, I'm going to call him Tito. Uh, so there's that. But there are going to be spots, and you would assume that if more trades happen, which I think that they will, and maybe more guys get the quote-unquote season-ending injuries, that there might be more spots available. Now, the question is going to be, how much of the apple cart do they want to upset? Because all reports out of Abbotsford are that things are going swimmingly with the young guys. They're rediscovering their confidence. Jeremy Colleton is a great instructor and tutor as to playing the right way and doing the things that they need to do to be successful at the next level. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of talk about Pod Colson and Hoglander going down and not thinking the game or being terrified of making a mistake. And that's an important thing to learn. And it's not something that you can really learn at the NHL level where you, you know, are playing with the sole purpose of trying not to make a mistake. Well, it's all very interesting to see what will happen there with that team. How are we doing on Fabes? Doesn't look good. Not so good, eh? Picking up his phone, so. You know, we, we trumpeted this, trumpeted this as the Faber talk it hour. Mm-hmm. And Faber I, was the big draw, really. Yeah, I know. And then, the disappointing like part of all Chris this. Faber! Uh, we got a question here. Uh, this is a question for the coach, but we should probably tackle this one. Uh, why don't NHL teams use their press box guys more? This is interesting because in the early part of the talk at tenure, I don't know if you remember this. It was a small sl- snippet of his post-game media availability after Seattle. 
They were in the second of a back-to-back, and he actually talked about putting more new guys in the lineup because they were tired. That they needed some fresh legs, fresh bodies out there. I, you know, I do wonder over the second half of this season if we're going to see a real revolving door of guys going through for the Canucks. You know, but like the simple things that Tockett needs to come in and, and implement, like yes. garbage in the garbage can. Tired players need to rest. Yeah, that's another one. Cool wet sack <laughs> keeps them fresh. You it never seems know. logical, but hey, they weren't doing it. Well, they're look the, the season. I've seen enough seasons that are dwindling, twisting in the wind, and eventually written off. Uh, the Canucks have had a lot of them over the last decade, and you do try and find. I don't want to say positives, but that's one way of putting it. You try and find opportunity from a missed opportunity, if that makes sense. So the missed opportunity is this season is not going to – and apologies to the one person that keeps texting in saying that there's a glimmer of hope for the playoffs. There's not. There's not. They just traded away their captain and leading goal scorer. Well, technically there is. There's not. <laughs> They're not mathematically eliminated. Doesn't matter. They're mathematically eliminated. You're, you're calling it now. Calling it now. Okay. I'm calling Iowa. It's red state now. It's gone. <laughs> Uh, this is, it's done. So when you try and find opportunity from no opportunity or a lost opportunity, you start to look at things like what guys can prove themselves, what guys can show something that maybe they didn't have. Are the Dakota Joshua's and the Jack Stadnikas of the world going to get top six minutes and maybe prove themselves to a new head coach? That's what's at play right now. That's one of the things that Rick Tockett has been brought in to try and figure out which guys can I win with? Which guys can't I win with? I think I figured out Faber. What's situation. up? He was tweeting about LeCarrie Mackey five hours ago. So that leads me to believe he was awake watching Canucks prospects. And now he's at asleep. About midnight or two in the morning. He's got that dog in him. Yeah. Which is fair. So anyway, if we're not going to get Faber, that's fine. I think we can carry on this conversation between the three of us. Um, we won't necessarily go down the Atu Ratu road because, quite frankly, I don't think any of us have any real clear understanding of what exactly he's going to bring to the table in Abbotsford aside from the scouting profiles that are already out there. Apparently, he's going to wear number 20 for the Abbotsford Canucks, so there's that as well. That's the key info. Right? Yeah, that's what you really want to know. But um, Get your jersey now that you were waiting for. <laughs> my Atu Ratu <laughs> jersey? Uh, but there is a lot that this team... There's a lot that this team still has to prove in this season. There's about three different things at play here, I would say. Three big things. I'm going to discount the Abbotsford Canucks. I'm going to remove them from this conversation right now. One is, with 40-plus games left, or just under 40 games left, uh, what are you going to prove to the head coach, and what is the head coach going to implement? So there's the active roster part of it. The second part, and that's the one that we love to chew on in talk radio, how... How is this going to play out from a trade perspective? Who's going to go? Who's left to be dealt? Uh, we've identified Luke Shen. We've talked about Thatcher Demko. You did notice, did you not, that Frank Cervelli threw some serious cold water on the Thatcher Demko trade talks. Yeah, it's not even on his trade list going into the, the trade deadline. Can you pull up the Woodley audio from yesterday? That'd be great. Kevin Woodley was on yesterday, Canucks Central, with Satyar Shaw and Dan Riccio. Uh, and he talked to Thatcher Demko about where all of this is coming from. This trade chatter, Elliot Friedman's got it out there. Dollywell's saying the teams are indeed calling. Where is this coming from? Is it legitimate? Good on Woodley for going out and doing the legwork. Here's Kevin Woodley yesterday on Canucks Central talking about all these Thatcher Demko trade rumors that are out there. I don't know if I've seen this like on Twitter or 
Um, but, but I know it's been said at least in a couple of spots that, that he wants out. Um, you know, and I, I, I had a chance to ask. Um, I ran into him at the rink and had a chance to ask, like, because that was sort of this, the buzz that was you know, surrounding his name appearing in rumors. And, you know, my sense is that that's not the case, um, that, that that is something that seems to be coming from elsewhere, if that's true. Now, listen, I don't think you could blame him. And again, he didn't, he didn't express any frustration at all, frankly, uh, in terms of, you know, obviously this team is not where anyone expected them to be, and that can't be fun. It can't be fun to be on a losing team. Um, but but I didn't, he didn't express any of that frustration and certainly um, indicated that, you know, like there certainly hasn't been any I want out of your trade type request. Laddie. Laddie got in my ear during that hit. This is important. He said, Why do you say it like that? This isn't. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Laddie. Laddie. Uh, and he said, This isn't just some average schmo here. This is Kevin freaking Woodley. Yeah. Explain. Put some respect on the name. Explain. <laughs> Explain well, your theory. By my theory, we have a few texters texting in saying, "Well, why would Demko? Why would Demko tip his hand? Why would he say to anyone that he wants to trade?" Well, I think th- th- based on what Woodley was saying, it was a maybe a off the record type discussion. It wasn't for an article. He just went up to him and asked him. And Woodley has the rapport with the goalies, not just with the Canucks, but around the NHL. I don't think they would lead him astray. I don't think that they any goalie in the league that knows Kevin Woodley would give him the wrong info. So the fact that it comes from Kevin Woodley means a little bit more to me than just some random reporter that would have come out and said that. I want to try and frame this for our listeners as best as possible because I know there's people that are like, you've gone too far, you've just created a Demko rumor out of nowhere, and now you guys are essentially trying to kick him out of town or force him out of town. That's not what's what's happening here. We're not even discounting the rumors. We're just saying it's not coming from Demko. Bigger picture... This is what happens when you're in the position that the Canucks are organizationally. Is you have, however you want to phrase it, vultures picking at the carcass, surgeons looking to get in on the surgery. I want a piece of that. Well, if you're an outside GM looking at the Canucks, are you not looking at the team going, okay, who who can we grab from this tire fire? Well, they're open for business, right? They're open for business. That's what I'll say. Team that's looking to make changes. Here's our opportunity to get a player that you normally wouldn't be able to get on the open market. And a team that is motivated to do so. Aren't in the business of a long rebuild. Aren't interested in tearing it down to the studs and building it back up. It's a fertile ground for moves, which is why after Besser and then obviously Shen, you would look at Demko. That's all I'm saying there. And from a Canucks perspective, it makes sense because Demko would get you something in return. But I'll put a bow on it for now. I understand that people don't want to hear about a trade that probably isn't going to happen because two of our insiders came on and essentially said, no, it's not happening. Probably means it's going to happen now, but I digress. Uh, The Besser thing. Talked to Frank about that earlier. We know this is out there. The ties to New Jersey. I'm sure you guys, both dogs, have seen this percolating online. Uh, It kind of makes sense from a New Jersey needs this and maybe Besser can give them that, but it's a big ticket for a guy that, if you want a goal-scoring winger, he's not scoring with the regularity that you would like. Not right now. Not right now. So the value is, who knows, right? A Besser contract. at an all-time high. A Besser trade would probably require taking a contract back that you don't love either, but you're getting Bessers off the books. Maybe, as Jason has pointed out on this show a number of times, you can spin a yarn. You can tell a tale about how this is a reclamation project waiting to happen. Shen, for me... 
is a, and I know you're dancing with the devil and playing with fire when you let him play right up into the deadline, but Shen is the classic, oh, well, he's our plan B, or, oh, we'll circle back on this if we don't land the guy that we want, or, oh, it's 10 minutes to the deadline and we don't have a depth defenseman. And you can squeeze uh, and extract pretty good value out of that. You've seen it at deadlines before. Was Savard last the deadline? What did he get? Savard got a big, big return. Yeah, and he's not a great defenseman. (laughs) He's okay. But these guys get valued, and it's that particular type of defenseman. Big, rugged. You know, Fridge had uh, a little bit in that clip that we played earlier. He doesn't think it's going to be Tampa Bay anymore, interestingly enough. It seemed like for a time that the reunion – between Shen and Tampa Bay was going to be a nice facilitator for a Canucks deal. But uh, to be perfectly honest, the Canucks might do the inverse of what they did with Horvat. If the Horvat deal was we zeroed in on the Islanders, they gave us the deal that we wanted, we got the return that we wanted, and we didn't really play that game where we were testing the open market, I think Shen might be the exact opposite. Be very curious if he'd be the exact opposite to be perfectly clear about this. We'll just have to see what happens on that front. I'm looking up that uh, David Savard deal. Just I want to find out what the package was. It was uh, it looks like a first and a third rounder for a defenseman that had 17 points with the Canadians last year. It was what he ended up getting last year. So that's the type of player that he is. Sherratt was another got. one. Sherratt yes. was a deal where someone just came out of their boots to make it because they wanted to add that big physical presence. On the blue line. And he, the thing is, it's funny because where Luke Shen was a couple of years ago in Tampa Bay, his value has, I don't want to say exponentially, but his value and presence and worth and a, really the ability to hang beyond a sixth or seventh defenseman is there. I think it's a fascinating one to watch moving forward. You could net more than people are thinking, that's for sure. At the, at the very least, it might be a, one of those pleasant surprises. I'm sure the Canucks fans would be interested in those, right? You would hope. (laughs) There's been enough of the other kind of surprises this year. You want a pleasant one every once in a while. Okay, quick reset here on the Halford and Bruff show, Sans Bruff. Uh, As you may have noticed, Jason Bruff is not in studio today. He's not here. He's missing out on a big show. We've had a ton of guests already. Rick Talkett is going to be joining us uh, in about 12 minutes' time, so you'll want to tune in for that, assuming he shows up and doesn't pull a Faber, which I'm coining it now. Chris Faber was supposed to be on to start the show we wanted to talk about. Pulling a Faber? Yeah. He's not pulling a Moj? He did the exact same thing. Same time slot. Recency bias. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a lot that we've gotten into on the show today. A reminder, if you want to hear any of the show, you can download the Hour 1 and Hour 2 podcast. They are available right now. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, hour 3 will be up shortly after the show. That, of course, will include everything that we've talked about in this 8 o'clock hour. A reminder, if you want to get your questions in for Rick Tockett, Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. We are accepting any and all questions. If yours is good, it'll have a chance to be read on the air. Heck, Frank Saravalli submitted one. Frank Saravalli even had one from his TV days with Rick Tockett. Uh, We've got all that. Um, We will continue the Canucks conversation. We're going to dip out a little bit early here. Not right now, but a little bit early for break. Uh, Some talking points that we need to go over. From earlier in the day, we went over all the trade targets that the Canucks might be in. We did talk about, by the way, if you missed it earlier in the show, uh, the Bo Horvat all-star game solution. It's not great. It is what it is. He, he's good at a solution. It's the solution that they best came up with. The league kind of grudgingly announced through gritted teeth that he's going to still represent the Pacific Division at the all-star game this weekend, which means 
He's going to have that one final go with Elias Pettersson. That's nice. They're going to be teammates one last time. Uh, this Until is... Elias ends up in New York. Oh, wait. No. Oh, That's not happening. Those. Definitely not happening. Uh, what else did we talk about? Oh, okay. Um, the Mark Stone thing in Vegas. That's kind of interesting. That just percolated overnight and has now come to the forefront. If you missed it, Stone is out for an indeterminate, indefinite length of time after undergoing back surgery. He's had these back problems, which have plagued him for the better part of a season and a half. And now it's finally come to the point where he's had to go under the knife. We're going to be really interesting to see what the Golden Knights do here. Frank Saravalli, in case you missed it, you'll want to download Hour 2 to get that hit. Frank threw out right away the idea of Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane to Vegas would be something else. And it makes a lot of sense because he's a pending UFA. It would be straight about this season, salvaging the season, getting him in the door. Your boy, Jack Eichel, that would be a really interesting connection there. Kane and Eichel playing together, that would be something. Yeah, that's two great personalities you'd love in the room right there. (laughs) So you've got that. Let's combine them. You've got that out there. For those that want to connect the dots with Miller or Besser, I'm not ready to go there yet. Again, I don't see a, a scenario where Miller works because the amount of money that Vegas would have to take on long-term is just so overwhelming. Besser, I guess you could try and talk yourself into it, but I think that Frank painted the picture quite well, that if Stone is out, you need a short-term rental there, and that short-term rental could very well be Patrick Kane. That would be a really interesting one. And to be honest, of the available guys, I know Kane and Stone are very different players, but if you're talking about impact guy to come in, and try and fill the void, you could do a lot worse on the open market. The word on Patrick. analytics Twitter this morning. Yes. There was a lot of Patrick Kane's slander going on about his advanced numbers this year. He's having a bad year. He's not the same player. He's you're, having a bad year. You're paying for the name when you get Patrick Kane. You're not paying for the same player that you're expecting. You're, he's having a bad year, no question. I know. It's not bad. He's still just under a point per game. Uh, yeah, but uh, the analytics are not great. I don't think he's as, as dynamic a play driver no. as he has it's been. It's everything surrounding past. his game. I mean, well, but it's also everything surrounding him on the ice. Yeah, he has like nothing have, really to work with. They have some horrifically bad players on that team, and that's a problem. But He's more of a, a disher than a, a scorer. So, yeah, when you have less around you to work with, that is to be expected. But this goes back to my beggars can't be choosers analogy or you know framework of this. Like, You're not going to find another Mark Stone to replace Mark Stone. You have to work within the landscape that you're given. If Kane's the option, you almost have to overlook the fact that he's not having a great year and say, yeah, but. You just hope you catch that lightning in a bottle. He returns to. Or you just have the expectations that he's not going to be the Patrick Kane of old, and he's certainly not going to be Mark Stone. Probably not going to. my expectations? Probably he's not going to pick as many pockets or be as aggressive on the back check as Stone. Like, let's just Hmm. throw that out there, right? But it's still Patrick Kane. Uh, Someone pointed out, way to discuss Stone to bring in more surgery talk. There's been a lot of. (laughs) Gray area between actual surgery and then metaphorical surgery, and I've really muddied the waters there. It's been the theme for the last month since the press conference. I apologize to everyone for that. Can we just stop saying the word surgery? No, because it's an important part of all this. As we discussed, the Vancouver Canucks is currently constructed. Uh, you've got. Can you not use the word surgery with the interview with Rick Tockett? Please? I'll try. Can you? I'll try. I'll try not to talk about how I'm addicted to surgery and I'm, I'm now lining up for elective surgery. Cheek implants, front or back. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm excited. Go with front. <laughs> Mix it up. Uh, okay. Uh, we're going to duck out. We're going to take a quick break for the sake of me, really, and everyone else involved. 
as I rag the puck for 23 minutes because Faber didn't show up. I really hope that Rick Tockett shows up. He is scheduled to join us next. If you want to get a question in, Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. It is the Halford and Bruff Show minus Bruff. Rick Tockett, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. That is coming up next. Fingers crossed on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I felt strongly that this was uh, was needed, and uh, uh, really happy to announce Rick Tockett as the twenty-first uh, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Eight thirty on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody! Halford Bruff Sportsnet six fifty. No Bruff though, just Halford. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in the midst of Hour 3. Canucks head coach Rick Talk is going to join us in just one second here. Hour 3 of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, the audio you heard coming back from break, that was Canucks General Manager Patrick Alvine talking about the recent hire. Of Rick Tockett. A lot has happened since Tockett was hired and has been on the job. No shortage of stuff. He joins us now to discuss his first couple weeks on the job and the future. Joining us now, uh, current head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, Rick Tockett, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, We've been talking a lot about what a whirlwind it's been since you came aboard with the Canucks. You've had three games in charge. Not a ton of practice time. You've also had Ilya Mikheyev lost to a season-ending torn ACL. You lost a player on waivers, and then your captain and leading goal scorer were traded. So my first question is, have you had a chance to actually sit back and take this all in and evaluate things, or has it been too much of a whirlwind? That's all that's happened? That's it. I'm surprised. Yeah, you know what? I'll be honest with you, the first couple of days, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it's overwhelming. A lot of things were thrown your way. Um, but I feel a lot more, I feel a lot better, uh, the last three, four days. Um, I had about three days with the coaches after the game on Friday. Um, we, we spent about three days in the office all day, uh, three days in a row. And we got a lot of work done before everybody took off. So I feel a lot more comfortable. I did. I, I started the start of the week. So, um, yeah, my approach is, you know, there's certain things I want to change. Um, it's not an overhaul, but there's certain things I want to change, but you got to be careful you can't change everything at once. So we're just kind of chipping away. Like I told the players, you know, take a little bite of the elephant every day and, uh, you know, see where we go. Uh, if you had to put a list together, which I'm sure you have, and you can't change everything at once, what would be or what is the number one thing or the first thing that you're looking to change? I'm a big mindset guy. You know, the way we play, uh, I, I like to play us a little bit faster, more north. Um, that was something uh, coming into uh, a week ago, uh, I saw that I wanted to change, and, and then empower the, the leadership group. I got to identify that leadership group, really empower them. Um, you know, leadership groups are very important in pro sports and for, and for head coaches or coaches in general. Um, so identifying the real leaders of the team, empower them, make sure they have a voice because um, they're really the guys are going to spread your message. You know, they're they're going to spread that mindset. The uh, the toughness, the the competitiveness, and and your practice habits. So that's my first order of business. Had a couple of meetings already. Uh, haven't had a lot of time with it yet, but uh, the time I have, uh, I've really enjoyed the, the, the you know the sessions we've had. So 
that's probably the big thing for me is identifying that and, and you know going that leadership route and really empowering these guys. Well, let's keep talking about that. And it's a very good point to bring up because symbolically, part of that leadership group is gone now with Bo Horvat being traded to the Islanders and the four-year captain mm-hmm. gone. Uh, in that press conference, Patrick Alvin mentioned two guys in particular, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, mm-hmm. as guys that are going to be looked upon to be leaders. Uh, is that something that you've already had discussions with as it pertains to identifying that next leadership group? Absolutely. If we're going to set the bar high here in Vancouver with the Canucks, those two guys have to be involved in the leadership group. They have to, you know, every day they come in, um, they got to set the standard. Um, and I'm going to really, you know, lean on those guys. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure in the past they've had a voice because, the, you know, being a, a young kid. Um, and you got to be careful, too, uh, when you have young kids. You can't throw too much responsibility on them you know you're more worried about them developing in the league so um you know those guys have been in the league you know three four years now um you know they're they're premier players in the league and i think it's important that they have a voice and they're part of this leadership group going forward uh were there past instances in your coaching career where you saw a young and i'll say and especially in the case of petterson superstar player emerging and it's because, you know, leaders often are your best players. But uh, the progression from just being the best player who is a leader to understanding those nuances and subtle things you're talking about where it's more than just being the best player. It's about having that voice. Have you seen that in your coaching past before? Maybe an example? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. The, the, you know, you have an emerging captain. He, he, he may not have the letter on his chest yet, but that leadership helped develop him, that, helped develop that. Um, I was remember being in Arizona, and uh, you know the Keith Kachucks, Jeremy Roenick, Dallas Drake, uh, Teppo Newman, and, and we had a young Shane Doan, and we knew eventually he was going to be the captain of that franchise. Um, and he just was part. We kind of made him a part of the leadership group as a young kid, and he just learned, and you know, obviously became a great captain. Um, so, just because a guy doesn't have a letter on his chest, you can still groom him for that job. Um, I think that's really important uh, to, to have that. Uh, you know the characteristics and they learn um, I'm not sure you want to put a lot of pressure on a young kid um, unless you have a strong leadership group you have four or five six guys that are really you know incubating them and, and helping them I remember in Sidney Crosby uh, you know the year uh, Mike Sullivan when I we took when Mike Sullivan I was there with them took over mm-hmm. we acquired some really high character guys the Nick Beninos uh, Patrick Hornquist Matt Cullen like uh, Trevor Daly, and, and they, Sidney Crosby's a great captain, but when we got those guys, I mean, it just, it, it put us over the roof with leadership, just oozed out of that room, and it really helped Sid out. I mean, Sid, Sid's game took off to another level. He was the best player in the league there uh, uh, when we acquired those guys, and I think that's the sort of stuff you want to develop. You know, a, you know, a bunch of guys that are just leaders. Might not have an A or C on their chest, but they're leaders in that room. Well, on the subject of that, is there any plan to uh, have someone wear a C this season, or is it going to be a bunch of A's? Well, right now, uh, you know, the trade just happened, uh, and, you know, it's an ongoing discussion. Um, I'm going to really use my staff, obviously, uh, pick Patrick's brain, but like I said, uh, you know, Pat, uh, Petey will be in the leadership group. Uh, Quinn Hughes will be in the leadership group. You know, obviously, JT Miller is a is a leader in that room. Uh, you know, we, we got a bunch of guys, Shanner you know, OEL. So, um, you know, those two guys will get a letter of how I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, I haven't really thought of it too much other than the fact that 
I'm going to try to empower a, a, a really strong leadership group, and it's going to be multiple, multiple guys uh, in that leadership room. We're speaking to Canucks head coach Rick Tockett here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I mentioned Halford and Bruff. Rick, usually there's another guy here with me, Jason Bruff, but he's ill today. But I got to <laughs> ask you, he's talked at length about this team's penalty kill, not just this season, but over the last two seasons, and how much of a problem yeah. it's been and how historically bad it's been. I mean, we're talking about since the days that it first got tracked, this is at or near the bottom of those records. Um, I know it's a big picture question, but uh, what do you do to fix a penalty kill that's this bad? Well, there's philosophies to it. You know, that's one thing that, um, you know, in Arizona, we had really good penalty kills there. And, um, and that's something I really take pride in. Uh, so this is obviously a category that we really got to tackle. Um, you know, I'm just, I just got here. So evaluating, um, you know, so there's, there's some philosophy changes that I want to do, but, you know, I have to see if, you know, if it's personnel, I mean, do we right, have right. to go get, do we have, first of all, do we have to go get some penalty killers? Do we have to, do we have them in, in the organization where we can develop them better? Uh, those are the questions I'm doing right now. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure you can have your best players penalty kill every night. Um, I'm not saying they can't. But, uh, you know, when you, when you start having your best players penalty kill, power play, and five on five, and they start playing up to 23, 24 minutes, I'm not sure that's a recipe to win. Um, that's just my philosophy and for penalty kill. So we have to develop some guys. We have to get some guys there that maybe have penalty killed in the past that have not penalty till, killed. Okay. And, um, you know, it's like an evolving thing. Uh, you know, that's why I brought Adam Foote here and Sergey Gontra. They're very good at, at that uh, category, too, or that, uh, you know, the PK so we got to develop, we got to teach, and uh, you know that starts with practice and video, and then we'll see where we go from there. Or do we have to go acquire a couple of penalty kills? That's really the question. But right now, I want to value it and see if we have some guys that can penalty kill for us. Yeah, that's an interesting point because we had um, Chris Higgins, former Canuck in studio, a few years ago. Yeah. And we were talking about that exact thing, and he pointed out, he's like, you know, you can learn and you can practice and you can get the discipline of being a penalty killer for sure. But he kind of hedged more towards. It's more about the personnel. Like you have to have the guys that know how to do it and are inherently or intrinsically good at it. And I thought that was interesting because it's not just something a throwaway. Well, you know, get out there on the kill and work hard and flip pucks in. It's it's a skill and it's something that some guys have and some guys don't. And that's where I guess what you're yeah. alluding to here that this could, at the end of the day, be a personnel thing, not necessarily a coaching and teaching thing. Well, you know, I think as a coach, you have to exhaust all you have to teach it. And I think that's the first process. And then you obviously go to the second, you know, if can these guys do it or do we have to get it? So it's the chicken and the egg. I understand that. But, yeah, PK is details, a lot of details. It's, it's, it's be, when to be aggressive, when not to be. It's, it's you know, it's the structure. You know, if, if, if you're going into a wedge, everybody's got to know, you know, in these scenarios where you're supposed to go. And then it's instinct. You know, a lot of it's instinct, and instinct in hockey is hockey IQ. You know, the, the top players or the very good hockey IQ guys are instinctual. You know, mm -hmm. they know exactly. They've replayed these scenarios in their head. You know, their mental reps as right. much as physical. So that's PK, you know, um, and uh, that's something that, you know, I want the Canucks organization, like even the organization, all of us to, to be take pride in it. Like, you know, we want to be a – obviously every team wants to be a good penalty kill team, but it's a – it can change the momentum of a game, you know, um, and, 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 you, and the percentages, obviously you want great percentages, but to me, it's the timing, you know, it's a, you're up three to two with six minutes left and you get, a, you know, you got to kill a penalty. That's the one you really want to kill. So mm -hmm. the timing of the penalty kill is huge as much as the percentages. 
Uh, I know you've talked a lot about uh, playing predictable hockey, and you've mentioned at the beginning it's called playing fast hockey. Is what you just said part of that, that maybe the goal is to have guys thinking about what to do less and more doing it and reacting in a, in a quicker fashion? Will that let you guys play more predictable and quicker hockey? Yeah, that, that starts when you walk in the rink. You know, you yeah. have breakfast. You're, you're thinking right away, you know, what, what is Canuck hockey? We're going to play fast. You know, we want to know... You know, listen, you, you always want to give players creativity. I mean, that's that's the whole game. You want creative players. But you also want five-man units out there knowing exactly you know, where the puck is, where I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, you know, an average skater, if he has a good, very good hockey IQ and knows, you know, uh, you know, knows where the puck is going, can look fast. I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't the greatest skater, but I took pride in knowing, you know, I was going to be first on the forecheck because I knew exactly where the puck was going and then you look fast. So it's no different than our team. Um, you know, I feel the team likes to regroup a lot. It likes to take the puck back a lot. And I think it's a recipe for disaster if you, if you continue to do that. Um, you know, you look at the Colorado Avalanche, you know, it's a, it's a copycat league. Every, you know, you look at the former Stanley Cup champs and go, what, what are they doing? Well, they play fast hockey. Obviously, they got some great players there. They're, they're you know, an unbelievable you know, team on paper, but they play really well. But their philosophy, it's, it's, you know, it's one pass right up and go. You know, before the other team get into their structure, they're already past it. They're past the other team's structure. So that's kind of the attitude I want to have in the mindset here. We're speaking to Cucks head coach Rick Tockett here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Rick, earlier I was talking to Frank Saravalli on this show. He says hi, by the way. Uh, he wanted me to ask you about the remarks made after the 6-1 loss in Seattle a short while ago where among other things, yeah. when you were assessing your team's play, you said it was soft. You said you don't like to call your team soft, but that was soft. Was there ever any consideration to either not say that or walk it back afterwards? Or were you going with the speak honestly and let the chips fall where they may philosophy? Well, I, I, I think you're, it's fine to, you know, I, I might, I didn't call the team soft that night. I thought we played soft and it, okay. I think, uh, it is what it is. I mean, uh, you know, if a player comes to my office and we discuss things, I will say, you know, you, you didn't play a competitive game tonight. You know, like players want things. You know, uh, they want more ice time. They want certain things, which I want to give them, but there's also stuff that they got to give. You know, sure. we got to make sure we have a lot of givers and, and, and just a bunch of guys I want to take all the time. And, I, and the one thing I did say, too, and, I, and I, I understood the anxiety and what happened the last couple of weeks and, I think it hit the team. They just didn't have their legs. So sometimes you can win games when you don't have your legs or you don't have your game because you stay in your structure or you win a wall battle or, you know, you get out of a period that you shouldn't, you know, you should have probably been down a couple goals, but you get out of there even where maybe the power play wins it for you in the third. So I, I think you have to develop a mental toughness and a physical toughness and, uh, you know, um, so I walk it back. I, I didn't call him soft. What I said is we just played soft that night. We didn't win some wild battles. And, um, you know, you want your team to be able to take that stuff. Um, you know, I don't like to publicly criticize my team um, at all and individuals because uh, I think it's important that you have a developed relationship with your players and they know where they stand. Um, and that's kind of my goal here. Uh, you mentioned another thing after that Seattle game was that um, before you took the job, you had been told that it was a team or a group that had issues putting together consecutive uh, predictable performances, I think was the term, or predict predictable efforts, where it was that second effort. Again, you mentioned on the second of a back-to-back, -back, they're tired, they lose 6-1. Um, based on what you knew of the team when you were at TNT and prior to taking the job, now that you're 
in the job and you've been there for a few weeks, how have expectations met reality? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, for me, like coming in um, and with, with footy and, and Sergey, like we're in the evaluation pro, uh, process right now. Mm-hmm. So we're like kind of seeing what we have, what we're working with, you know, um, and then obviously bring your philosophies, but also giving the players a voice too. You know, maybe there's some, some really good stuff that some of the players have for you, some intel where, you know, that'll help you coach these guys. So that's kind of the whole kind of the mix of it all, right, is, is to come here, try to have a partnership with the players, understand where they're coming from, um, understanding, you know, them understanding your philosophy, your mindset, and then applying it every day. You know, every day you come to the rink. You know, that's the goal, you know. Uh, whatever happened yesterday, you know, is in the past. The, the one thing of the Seattle game I learned is the next day, you know, we had the day off and we came in. Guys were focused for that game. I, 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 it, it was really um, enjoyable that morning where guys brought the energy. Even when we had that morning skate, we had a really good morning skate. So they had the ability to let it go and, 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 and you know, create that energy for the next game. That's, the, that's hard to, to, to play the right way every game is hard um, yeah. because everybody would do it. So I guess – you know, that's the big thing. If you have a good game, which is great, you want to enjoy it, but you got to get back to reality quickly and back to earth for the next practice and you know, be more of an even keel team. Oh, Rick, I have about a million more things I'd love to ask you, but we're out of time, and I know you got to get going. So, one, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this this morning. This was great. And, two, hopefully we can do this again uh, further on down the road. It was great talking to you. Yeah, no, great questions. I always enjoy interviews with uh, with well-thought-out questions. I appreciate that. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate that. That's Canucks head coach Rick Tockett here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That was good. Very interesting stuff about the leadership group. It's very clear at this point that Pedersen and Hughes, as Rick Tockett said on the call, are going to have letters on their jerseys, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, this year, that they'll be serving as alternate captains and it is a very clear push from this organization as we kind of get a clearer picture of where things are going that those guys are core players, which we knew, but it's very clear that it's the time, right? It's time to move to the next step. What's the next step? Be a leader. Wear an A. Wear a C. Be the one that's doing all the captainly things, right? Organizing the dinners on the road and planning the captain's skates and all those responsibilities. There's a great anecdote that he told about what they did to Shane Doan. Not to Shane Doan, but for Shane Doan, right? Is that they groomed him along. There was a lot of veteran guys, and I think we've seen some of those, including the recent exiting captain, Bo Horvat, who have set the stage, whether intentionally or not, for the next wave to come along. But when they talk about culture and surgery and what it's going to look like after going in and changing all these things, based on that conversation alone, it's pretty clear that Pedersen and Hughes are going to be leaned upon in a much larger fashion now. Yeah, and for me, it was interesting to hear his take because he's sort of from our position where he was from the outside looking in, but now he gets a chance to control it from the inside, and he's the coach now. So I was very interested to see if his thoughts on the team from outside match what his thoughts are from inside. And it's fair that he punted because he is still in the evaluation process. But But still, it was still intriguing to hear what he had to say. And and clearly, like you said, leadership is something he's honing in on and focusing on. I wonder if that's maybe something that jumped out to him as he stepped in. Definitely a message that Alvin and Rutherford gave him. Yeah, or is it it from the top down? And also, um, they probably said, you're going to need to identify the next leadership group because we're going to trade our captain. I mean, that was very evident from a long time ago. Sorry? 
They told him that? Yeah, like I think it might the writing might have been on the wall. Like, by the way, you're going to come into this team and there's a chance. There's a chance he might be without a captain. So, I don't know how it's going to play out. I know that Alvin when referencing the leadership and the captaincy uh in the presser for the Horvat trade, name-checked Hughes and Pedersen, but kind of deferred to talk as to when it would happen. But I mean, all everything there, everything right now the table is set for those two to be the guys, be the faces, be the spokespeople, be the voices. Be interesting to see what becomes of JT Miller. I mean, when Talk had identified the leadership group, the other names that came up were Miller, OEL, Shanner, right? Luke Shen's there. I mean, who knows how long Luke Shen's going to be on this team. And I understand that those are just the sort of name check veteran guys that have served in that capacity before, but he made no bones about it. This is a Hughes and Pedersen team now. It begins anew. February of 2023 is when the Horvat regime ended and the era of captaincy ended, and now it moves forward. Uh, looking at the text inbox, a lot of people saying that Rick Tockett sounds like the moach. <laughs> uh, and, and people wondering how much you paid Rick for that little compliment he gave you at the end there. I don't I don't know. That seemed kind of out of character. He, did, he, did he really mean that when he said that? Great questions. Are you suggesting that that was not a genuine compliment? Halford's going to be talking about this like Winnipeg Radio. Yeah. He's going to be bringing it up for the next three months. Nothing will match here. Winnipeg Radio as a career <laughs> highlight, but this was a close second. No, I'm glad we got it. Look, here's one thing I knew about Talkit coming into this job. I talked to a couple different people that were working on the media side of things, and they said, uh, Vancouver is getting a good one if you like a coach that is – open, honest, and forthright, and not scared about answering questions that might take him down a road where he's got to go deep into the weeds. Like, he's got to do some serious explaining, and he's not going to offer cliches. And I I think part of that is because he did television. I mean, it's a natural thing. When you're on TV, you're in an explaining job. You need substance to your words. Sure. You can't just throw out, like, he's got a good 200-foot game and he needs to get pucks in deep. Like, Talk part of Talkit's gig on TNT was going to the whiteboard, showing exactly what's happening and why it's happening. And he's a good communicator. And that's another interesting thing. He's talked about this in the past. Big relationship building guy. That's kind of his key. And I do think that's why they have so many coaches behind the bench right now is there's going to be a ton of one-on-one meetings and checking in and figuring out how guys are fitting in. And he talked, I mean, one of the things that he brought up unprompted was we need to get feedback from these guys. The collaborative approach, which is why you bring in Gonchar and Foot to an add to a crew that already has King and they've got the Sedin still there and you still got Mike Yo there. Like there's a, there's a wealth of experience both playing and coaching now behind the bench just in volume, right? And I know Bruce was seen as a player's coach as well, but I think Rick is a player's coach in a different kind of way in the way that you're talking about, the, the collaborative approach. I think he's very open to ideas from other, even players that come to him and approach him with stuff because I feel like that's the type of coach that he is. He's taking ideas from all over the place and, and coming up with the best plan. And you're right, it's, it's the communication part is, yep. is probably his best asset. Yep. Didn't have a lot of solutions for the penalty kill. <laughs> well, when you're given no tools he, to work with. He said, it, he said it pretty loud and clear. It's like, you know, and then we have to decide if we've got the right personnel. And we might have to make some acquisitions. Bruff, it would be manna from heaven for Bruff because he has pointed out accurately on a number of occasions that way back when, when the Canucks penalty kill was 
good to above average to average in that in that mushy middle, you had Alex Edler and Chris Tanev, very dedicated shot blockers that played a ton on the kill and knew how to do it. Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, Tyler Mott, Louis Erickson, say what you will about these players individually. They knew how to kill penalties. And they knowing what to do sounds like a really armchair basic analysis, but it's very profound because if you don't know what you're doing... You get a show that sounds like this. And it looks like you don't know what you're doing, and then the other team scores a bunch of goals. Okay, that music means I got to get out of here. I hope you've been enjoying listening to me talk for the better part of two hours and 53 minutes. That is over now. I got to go. Hopefully, we'll all be back tomorrow. But for now, signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. You have been listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.